Welcome again to another Taming the Shrew podcast. This week we're going to be having another research corner edition of our podcast where we talk with residents or faculty uh, within our department who have uh, recently been involved in research and publications. And this week uh, we have what is a, a very interesting uh, subject matter as a case uh, report, obviously not the the highest level of, uh, of evidence in terms of in terms of research, uh, but often very interesting from a hypothesis generation standpoint. Also, uh, you know, sometimes these case reports are the best level of evidence that you can get for what is rare and uncommon um, and certainly potentially uh, deadly diseases. And so this time we're going to be talking with uh, Adam Gatula uh, and Am- Amanda Peck, uh, who uh, were involved in the publication of of a study that was just published in the Journal of Emergency Medicine on dexmedetomidine for acute management of intrathecal baclofen withdrawal. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks, Dr. Hill. Thank you. So first, I, I just, I just kind of want to go back to a bit of the basics on this, because I think that the, the actual disease process, acute withdrawal from baclofen, from an intrathecal baclofen pump malfunction, is, is a very interesting, uh, often very dramatic presentation. Um, and so I kind of want to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of the, of the pathophys here. So first of all, talk to me about, like, what is baclofen? Yeah, so uh, baclofen uh, is an agonist onto the beta subunit of uh, GABA. It uh, works on neurons at both the spinal cord and in the brain, ultimately influencing the calcium intake. On the presynaptic side, uh, decreasing the excitatory neurotransmitters. Postsynaptically, it increases uh, the potassium efflux, uh, which ultimately causes it to be hyperpolarized, ultimately inhibiting that neuron. Um, it's essentially used to and decrease spasticity and to to decrease the uh, excitatory neurotransmission. Excellent. And so given that, like what are the typical manifestations we see for patients having baclofen withdrawal? So patients who present in baclofen withdrawal, or in this case, uh, interthecal baclofen withdrawal, um, typically they are, uh, they are spastic, they have hypertension, tachycardia, hyperthermia and are frequently altered with seizures. Um, In the most severe cases, it can lead to end organ dysfunction, coagulopathy, uh, rhabdo, and autonomic instability. Uh, Clinically, it can be very difficult to diagnose as there are several several pathophysiologic states that mimic this. Uh, Classically, we think of uh, the sympathomimetic toxidromes, serotonin syndrome, and then other forms of GABA withdrawal, uh, such as alcohol withdrawal uh, and delirium tremens. And I would say on my end, I remember the first time I had a patient with impending intrathecal baclofen withdrawal. And I think at least now we have a growing awareness of how serious this is. At the time when I first saw this about five years ago out at a different facility, there wasn't a really good idea of how to treat this um, or the fact that it could be so serious. So what we get into with this case report kind of gives us some alternatives and also I think is helping educate in a broader sense as far as, you know, they're withdrawing from baclofen, why can't I just give more baclofen, which as we'll describe in this case doesn't really work. Excellent. Let's also talk about the the agent that you guys opted to, to use in this particular case. You know, what is dexmedetomidine? Uh, you know, we've heard about it somewhat in the emergency department. Some emergency departments are using it uh, with some regularity. Our particular emergency department doesn't really have it as a as a common option for for uh, post intubation sedation or other sedative uh, uses. What 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 is this medication? 
Yeah, so dexmedetomidine is an alpha-2 agonist. As a pharmacist, I've always kind of essentially thought of it as being similar to an IV clonidine. Even though we're not using it for that purpose, we're using it for purposes of preventing intubation while still providing sedation for a patient, especially in situations where the patient might have some GABAergic pathologies going on anyway, such as in the cases of alcohol withdrawal um, or opiate withdrawal. Um, I, I have to also mention as a pharmacist that this is certainly an off-label use for dexmedetomidine that we're talking about today. Um, so alpha-2A action for dexmedetomidine would activate G-coupled protein receptors in the brainstem and thereby inhibit norepinephrine release. So again, you might see not just um, your hemodynamic effects from that, but also potentially some behavioral effects as well. Uh, and then you can, at some higher doses, get some paradoxical vasoconstriction with activation of alpha-2B, but we typically try to limit the doses um, from becoming that high and getting that effect. I think it's also important to note that um, the mechanism of action for dexmedetomidine is different than that from baclofen, but they have sort of the same end effect, which is to decrease the norepinephrine release presynaptically. Mm -hmm. So we're accomplishing the same thing just through a different mechanism. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then I guess what would be uh, the usual or, or typical management for uh, for someone having a, a baclofen withdrawal? So normally patients with baclofen withdrawal or historically have been treated with benzos and propofol. There is some other adjunctive agents that are also mentioned in the literature um, that I'll let Amanda talk about a little more because I have never used those. Sure, sure. Yeah, and and another thing we get out of the in the paper is that propofol and lorazepam, most um, emergency medicine clinicians are going to be pretty comfortable with dosing those. They're going to be pretty comfortable with the adverse effect profiles of those. Once you start digging in the literature for, heck, this isn't working, or I, I might not want to use these in my patient, you get into some more exotic options like ciproheptadine, which is an antihistamine um, acting on the histamine 1 receptor. Um, you also get into dantrolene. Um, ciproheptadine, there's no IV form available, so if you have a critically ill patient and you're not able to have enteral access at first, ciproheptadine really is going to be uh, something that's not possible in this situation. There's also a lot of cardiac adverse drug effects with that. Um, Dantrolene, of course, does have an IV option. You'll see it used for malignant hypothermia, most common, um, also sometimes for serotonin syndrome. Um, both of these agents can be used for spasticity, but the dosing for spasticity is going to be probably unfamiliar to most providers and honestly even most pharmacists if we don't work um, in neurology type of situations very often. We might not be familiar with that. Also, the, the cost issue with dantrolene can be a concern because it's $3,000 per vial of IV dantrolene. Wow. Uh, I guess from a, also from a layman standpoint, I mean, it seems like uh, if they're missing if they're missing baclofen, why not just give them baclofen? Sure. So this patient and most of the patients we see the terrible withdrawal in are interthecal baclofen. Um, the interthecal baclofen gets interrupted for a variety of reasons, whether it's a kink catheter, or a mislodged catheter, or a pump failure. Uh, and that cannot be replaced easily and requires a, a specialized neurosurgeon. There is a single case report out there of someone doing a lumbar puncture and giving interthecal baclofen, Brave. which is uh, <laughs> something that we certainly do not consider ourselves uh, experts in doing in the emergency department, um, giving interthecal medications, that is. The... Uh, 
other option is to give oral baclofen, but you need over a hundred times the dose of oral baclofen to get up to the same effects you do for interthecal baclofen. So that is just not really feasible uh, in a patient in this situation. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's one of the things that's pretty clearly established in the literature at this point is when attempts have been made to address intrathecal baclofen withdrawal with enteral baclofen, it typically is not effective. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, uh, talk to me about uh, this uh, this particular case report, this particular patient. Like, why why was the the choice made for dexmedetomidine in this patient? Yeah, so this was, I believe, a Friday or Saturday night in the emergency department, and I was working in the emergency department satellite pharmacy. Christian comes up to me, tells me, "Hey, I've got this patient with intrathecal baclofen withdrawal. She came in from a nursing home. Her daughter actually thought." that she might be withdrawing from intrathecal baclofen. So our physicians began to investigate and decided that this was probably the case. Um, now, fortunately, the patient was still pretty stable hemodynamically, but we knew that that wasn't going to last. So um, Christian actually had the thought of, hey, would, would Presidex work in this situation? Would dexmedetomidine work in this situation? And mechanistically, it did not make sense. Uh, so he and I did a quick literature search, and we found uh, the 2014 Moore case, which we cite um, in our case report, which was a pediatric patient who was already in severe intrathecal baclofen withdrawal due, due to a surgical error that happened and was already intubated and in an intensive care unit. And that was really the only thing that we could find at that point. Now, we had seen um, at least one abstract um, when we looked later for dexamethamidine for enter for enteral baclofen withdrawal, uh, but this hadn't really been done before. Now, Christian really wanted to avoid intubating this patient if at all possible. He felt that because of some other comorbidities going on with her, that she'd be very, very difficult to extubate, and we would potentially put her at the risk of greater complications if we intubated her. As we talked about options for avoiding intubation in this patient, but still you know, treating her intrathecal baclofen withdrawal and impending worsening withdrawal. We were talking about what can we use. We could, of course, give IV push lorazepam for the patient, but eventually that probably wouldn't control all of her symptoms mechanistically. Well, we know it wouldn't control her symptoms mechanistically, but then we would also potentially run into somnolence uh, and uptendation to the point where she'd have to be intubated. Same thing with propofol. We don't typically set patients on propofol infusions without intubating them. So, <laughs> so as we talked through the options, we said, you know, dexmedetomidine doesn't not make sense, and we feel like we can start low, go slow with the dosing, and see where we get, and that's what we did. Excellent. So talk a little bit about what, uh, what happened with this patient in terms of their, uh, their clinical course. Yeah, so ultimately this patient was started on the dexmedetomidine drip, which was titrated up throughout her initial course. She was admitted to the, the neuroscience ICU uh, at our medical center and ultimately got her pump replaced uneventfully uh, and was ultimately discharged uh, at her previous baseline uh, without ever needing intubation throughout the entirety of her stay. Fantastic. Um, well, I, again, thanks you guys uh, for joining us. Uh, also, thanks to uh, Dr. Kerry Gorder, um, who's one of the intensivists uh, here at our facility uh, that was also on this paper, and Dr. Christian Rennie, uh, was a former resident here, uh, now is at uh, Brigham and Women's, uh, again, for uh, you know, obviously being involved in this case and being involved in the, in the publication as well. Anything else you guys would uh, like to add in terms of uh, you know, this particular disease process, the management? 
So I can say that at our institution currently, we're actually working on updating a process and formalizing a process for addressing patients with various intrathecal medication pumps to improve interdisciplinary communication and to make sure that we're able to quickly establish uh, action plans for these patients who require attention to their intrathecal pumps. And I think after this experience, I think we can all uh, at least consider dexmedetomidine in these patients uh, to hopefully give them a chance at avoiding intubation as they're all fairly high-risk patients. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, so, uh, so sort of as a, as a brief summary, I think, uh, you know, intrathecal baclofen withdrawals a particularly challenging uh, clinical situation. It ultimately requires, you know, a fixing of the, of the intrathecal pump, uh, which is something that is sometimes difficult to do in a timely fashion. And involving that consultant early is, is, is definitely the way to go. And then until that time, you know, medication options, uh, historically, uh, benzodiazepines, propofol, although uh, those are going to result in uh, likely uh, significant sedation uh, as well as likely intubation, uh, which, uh, which can pose problems for, for patients. And so uh, dexmedetomidine mechanistic making some sense uh, and, uh, and and haven't been previously published uh, um, seems to have uh, worked well for this particular patient so uh, as I said always case reports very interesting from a hypothesis generation standpoint and uh, and uh, it seems like it, it obviously did it did quite well for this particular patient uh, thank you all for uh, thank you all for joining us thank you dr. Hill thank you